Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you We just want to thank you and bless you. Excited about what the month of June holds for us here at Jesus House. It, it promises to be a month that is defining. And Lord, as we build up to it, O oh God, we share your word. We ask that you will breathe upon your word, Heavenly Father. Let it, let it illuminate our hearts. Let it change our lives. Let it challenge us, O oh God. Bring revelation from your throne room, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I started a series last week, The Mystery of Altars. Um, so today is part two of The Mystery of Altars. There were, there were four main points that I made last week uh, in, in talking about the reasons altars were made. Um, the first altar we know was made was erected by Noah immediately after the flood. But then we see a similitude of what an altar is in the sacrifices that Cain and Abel brought to God um, way before that. Uh, there are four main reasons altars were made, we said, were, were erected, were built. We said, number one, for worship. Number two, for sacrifices. Um, so an altar was built for worship. They, the, 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 the essence of the altar was to worship God. Uh, number two for sacrifices. Um, the, the animals were brought to the altar. They, they were burnt on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Number three for memorials. Um, an altar was a memorial, we, we said, to a person or an event. It, made, it, it was erected so that people could remember a person. Um, remember an occasion, remember an event. And we said, fourthly, that all, an altar was erected as a witness. It testified about God um, and testified about the relationship of the people who erected the altar uh, with God. Now, of course, altars were always physical structures. They were holy places, uh, dedicated places of worship. Uh, there were meeting places where... Uh, encounters took place. Uh, the heavens, in a sense, would kiss the earth at altars. Uh, the immortal would touch the mortal. Divinity would impact humanity. Um, these encounters took place at altars. That's what made altars special uh, in that Old Testament dispensation. However, these were encounters. Um, they were intermittent, they were sporadic. They didn't happen uh, as a cause of life. They, an altar had to be built. Things had to be done. Prayers said, and the hope and, and the prayer was that God would respond to what was done at the altar and come in some way, uh, respond in some way that was tangible to what was done at the altar. Now, this was not always the case. Uh, it was not so in the beginning. The Bible, in the first two chapters, paints, and the part of the third chapter, paints this beautiful picture 
of the Garden of Eden, a place that was filled with God's presence and how God would come down in the cool of the evening to fellowship with Adam and Eve. You see, the Garden of Eden was in itself an, an altar. There was no need to erect any other altars because the Garden of Eden was, was God's garden. He had planted man in it so that man could work the garden. It was the most beautiful place. It was heaven on earth. There was no need for any altars. The Bible describes how in the cool of the evening, he would come himself and walk the garden and talk with Adam and Eve. But of course, we know the story. The, the enemy uh, adversary, Satan, who detests anything that involves our relationship with God, comes in the guise of a serpent and seduces the woman and the man and they rebel against God. This utopia is shattered. Critically, the relationship between man and God is destroyed. A gulf, a, a schism, um, some massive gap is now put between God and man. And so, when that happens, man's response is to try to bridge this gap. And that's where altars come in. Altars were part of the attempt to bridge this gap. Part of the attempt to recreate what man had. This garden of Eden that was an altar. A place where the presence of God was normal, day to day. And so altars were built. However, there was a, an, an issue. There was a sin issue that existed. As long as man still had sin in him, as long as man was still sinful, as long as nothing had been done to pay the price for the sin that man had committed, as long as man's nature was woven and interwoven with sin, no matter how elaborate the altar was, how costly the animals were, were how much time was spent working with the stones to build this altar, in the final analysis, the sacrifice of the animals and the shedding of their blood on the altar could not deal with the sin issue. And so God's interaction could only be as it was. It wasn't a full interaction and it could only be sporadic. But thank God that God had a plan, a plan that was birthed out of love. The plan he had was to build, to erect an ultimate altar, and this he did at great cost. That ultimate altar, and if you wanted a, sub, a subtitle for today's message, that would be it, the ultimate altar, is the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many don't see the cross as an altar, but that's exactly what it was. An altar that was put in place for you and I to solve the one issue that the altars of old could not solve, the sin issue. 
an altar that was put together at great cost. The Son, our Lord and Savior, had to volunteer himself. The Bible records in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 to 8, as it encourages us to have the same spirit and the same mind as him. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That scripture so aptly brings to us the cost of this altar and the cost of the sacrifice on this altar. The scripture tells us that our Lord and Savior gave up a lot. He could have stayed in heaven where he was equal with God. But then he decided because of his love for you and I, because he knew that the blood of animals and the, and the sacrifice of animals will never solve the one thing that has caused this gap, this, this schism between us and God. He knew that there had to be someone who would pay that price. There had to be a sacrifice on an altar that would, form, that would be the bridge that would bring man back to God. And so he volunteered himself. He left his position in heaven and all that went with it. The Bible says he made himself of no reputation and that's exactly what it was. He took on the form of a slave, a bond servant. The king of kings became a bond servant for you and I. He came in the likeness of his own creation, man. He humbled himself and then became obedient to the point of death. All through the, the, the persecution, all through his journey to the cross, at many points, he certainly could have given up. The Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestles with the enormity of what is ahead of him. At some point, near breaking point, he cries out to his father, asking if this cup of what is ahead could pass from him. Is there another way, God, that we can do this? He knew what was waiting for him. He knew that the death on the cross wasn't a walk in the park, a piece of cake. He knew what it was going to be like, the horror of it, the crucifixion. And probably the thing that he dreaded the most was that he must be abandoned for a time by his Father in heaven. That perfect relationship must go through some sort of severance, some sort of separation, because you see, he had to be in the position that we were in so that he could justifiably pay the price. And part of that position was he had to experience the schism. And that happened when he was on the cross at Calvary. He paid a heavy price as the sacrifice. This was no 
animal sacrifice on an altar. No bull or no cow or no, no sheep or no, no bird. This was the Son of God himself that was placed on the cross on that altar for you and I. The ultimate altar. But the Father also gave up a lot. For we must remember that this was his only begotten Son. We can't fully comprehend in our natural minds the depth of their relationship. We try to understand what it must have been like for him to know that his son was going to suffer humiliation at the hands of his own creation. But he was driven also by love to allow his son to go because he knew that if his son did not go and pay the price, that sin issue could not be dealt with. And as long as man was in that sinful state, he could never have the kind of relationship he had with man in the beginning. So the Bible says in John 3.16, as it captures the essence of the Father's love, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He allowed him to be sacrificed on that altar. You know, when the Bible records the darkness that covered the earth in Matthew 27 verse 45, the darkness at the crucifixion, three hours, thick darkness, a blanket of darkness, descends on the earth as Jesus hangs on the cross, dying from 12 noon until 3 p.m. Darkness. It paints a picture to us of God in heaven blanketing by darkness the pain of his son. Not that God could not see it. It is just graphic and symbolic of a graphic picture of a separation that took place for three hours. And the cry of Jesus from the cross sums it all up as he cries, My father, my father, why have you from where are you, God? was what he was saying. For the first time, there was no response from the Father. I can't imagine what the heart of the Father was and the heart of the Son, but it was a price that they knew they had to pay a sacrifice on the altar of the cross. They were driven to pay simply because of their love for you and I. That altar that was built wasn't built with stones or earth as it had always been done. It was designed by two trees being put together to form a cross. The sacrifice was not animals whose blood was shed and who were burnt on an altar. This time it was the Son of God himself who was the sacrifice. It was his precious blood that was shed. He was to die a painful and horrific death by crucifixion so that he could pay the price for sin. The Bible says in Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He took on that altar the wages of sin, death, so that you and I could have the gift of God, an eternal life in Christ Jesus. A life not just here, but for eternity 
with God. What a sacrifice that he made. And this sacrifice was driven. This altar was built. And he was sacrificed on it simply because of God's love for you and I. And may God give us the revelation to grasp at some, some level the enormity of God's love. It drove him to give, give his son. It drove his son to allow himself to be sacrificed like any animal on the altar of the cross just simply because he loved us. We begin to understand then that this altar was an act of love, so staggering in its implications that our minds struggle to fully comprehend it. Can I say to you that you don't understand how much God loves you, and I pray that God will open our hearts and give us a revelation of God's love. If you understand God's love, it takes you to a place of rest. God's love is not dependent on what you do. It's not dependent on the mistakes you make. It's not dependent on how you perform your spirit, how you give yourselves to spiritual disciplines. It's not dependent on any works that you can do. God's love is not even dependent on how good you are. We sometimes think that we can earn God's love. God's love is not dependent on any of that. It's not earned. The price for it has already been paid. The sacrifice has been made at an altar, the cross of, our, uh, the cross of Cal at Calvary. That, that's where the price was paid. And what led to it was a love that you and I can never fully comprehend on this side of eternity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, the Passion Translation, says, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. We, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. And by doing that, we enter something that has already been worked out. This sin issue that separated us from God, he paid the price for it, took on the wrath of God, so much so that his father literally turned his face away. And he did that so that you and I can literally just waltz into the righteousness of God, right standing before God, a right relationship with God. I like the way the Bible describes it in John 15 verse 13. Again, the passion translation. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. My brother and sister, he demonstrated his love for us. May the Spirit of God share this revelation in our hearts. May each one of us come to a new level of understanding of God's love. It's what guards you. It's what steadies you as you go through life. And I just want you to take it into your heart that you are loved by God. In fact, why don't you say that with me? So that as you say it, the words will dissipate every doubt, every notion, every lie of the enemy that you're not. Will you say that with me? I am loved by God. Say it again. I am loved by God. Now say it this way. 
I am the beloved of God. One more time. Lift your voice. I am the beloved of God. Go on. Tell Satan to, to, to listen to that. There's nothing he can do that can change that. There's no circumstances, no circumstance that can change that. You are special. You are the apple of God's eye. He will do anything for you. It says that a, a love that is the greatest love sacrifices all. Someone says to me, what will he do for me? All is what he will do for you. He has sacrificed his all. His son has given his all for you. Is it any wonder that when John is writing in 1 John, the third chapter and the first verse, uh, the Passion Translation, he says, 1 John 3 verse 1, he says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. Look with wonder. Be amazed by it. Please, when, when church is over this Sunday, live here knowing that you are loved. Please, tell everybody, I'm loved by God. Doesn't matter what is going on. I am special. I, I am the apple of his eye. I am precious to him. I am his beloved. John says, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished, lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. That's what he's done. And it was done because of what, what took place on the altar. And you know the interesting thing? The altar fulfills all the criteria. On the cross, Jesus was worshipped to his Father. He was, he, the, the, the whole essence of him giving his life was the incense of pure worship, the purest form of worship. It was a sacrifice. He allowed himself, literally, his body to be sacrificed. It's a memorial. Of course it's a memorial. The whole of our faith revolves around what happened at the cross and the resurrection. The whole of our faith. It's a memorial. Uh, a, a memorial to him uh, and a memorial to the event. And then, of course, it's a witness. It testifies of our faith. And so, once we understand that, then it's left for me to welcome you into the new era. It's a new era where we are redeemed, where we are reconciled to God, where we have the Spirit of God living in us. The result of this is that we don't need to construct any physical altars anymore. If we do so, it is purely symbolic. I'm standing on an altar to preach this word to you. But I don't need this altar anymore to connect to God. I don't need it anymore. I don't need a physical altar in my home to connect to God. It helps in a practical sense. And it might be symbolic, but I don't need it anymore. I don't need it because His Spirit is now living in me. I don't need it because I am reconciled to Him, redeemed, bought back. So I don't need the physical anymore. What then happens is that my heart becomes the basis of a new altar. My heart that was hardened now becomes the basis of a new altar. It becomes, in this dispensation, the, it becomes the basis, the fulcrum of encounters with God that are not based on anything physical, 
but are now based on things that are spiritual. So our hearts that were hardened have now become sanctified to be altars on which we worship and sacrifice to God. And so when we gather at a family altar, as a family, we are bringing the altars of our hearts you know, in which the sacrifices will be made to God. And as we will find out, we can prepare our hearts so that when we come together, our hearts are altars that God finds acceptable on which sacrifices should be made to him. And so as we prepare for the 30th of June, it's not that Wembley becomes a physical altar. It is that we come, thousands of us, hearts prepared, altars in our hearts, and as we come together in that place, we, we link up to form one altar from our hearts that is so attractive to God that he can't resist it. That's why the Bible would say to us, guard your heart with all diligence. Protect it because, as one translation says, it determines the cause of your life. It, out of it flow the issues of life. So the altar is no longer a physical structure. And if it is, we're grateful for the symbolism of it. But in its true essence, in this new era, this new dispensation, after that ultimate sacrifice on an ultimate altar, the altars have now moved to be our hearts. The Spirit of God living in us. And so we can sacrifice from our hearts as we sacrifice in the light of the ultimate sacrifice that has been done. I think when we, as we continue, we will find out that there are sacrifices, but they are no longer animal sacrifices. They are sacrifices that draw on the sacrifice that was made at the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you and we bless you. I pray this word will, will sink into your heart and your spirit. I pray the spirit of God will amplify it. I pray you will be like the Berrian Christians. You'll go back and dig a bit deeper and revelation will come. I'm praying especially that revelation will come to you of the cost of that sacrifice that took place at the cross of Calvary. Father, we thank you and we bless you. As we bow our heads, if there's anyone who is in the base or in the Harvard Greenwich or part of our online family you're, or you're watching for the first time and you haven't responded to the love that is demonstrated by what happened at the altar of the cross of Calvary. You haven't received the gift that is a consequence of what happened at the altar. I bring before you an opportunity to do so, to just receive the gift, receive him, receive his actions on your behalf, his show of love on your behalf. If you would like to do that, and you want to respond by receiving him into your life and your heart, you want to start a relationship with him, to know him, our Lord and Savior Jesus. Uh, if you would just 
bow your heads wherever you are in the base in the hub you're watching online part of our online audience part of our online family as I pray with you will you say these words with me Heavenly Father I thank you for the gift of your son Jesus I thank you for the price he paid at the altar of the cross of Calvary today I receive him into my life as my Lord and Savior I ask oh God that you will help me to turn away from anything that is not pleasing to you I thank you for receiving me into your family today that sin issue is dealt with I'm now reconciled to you part of your family I thank you father in Jesus name Amen